Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We continue in the Old Testament hymnal with Psalm number 27 of David. Yahweh is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Yahweh is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of Yahweh, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of Yahweh and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent, He will lift me high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to Yahweh. Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Yahweh, do I seek. Hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but Yahweh will take me in. Teach me your way, O Yahweh, and lead me on a level path, because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Wait for Yahweh. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for Yahweh. This is the word of the Lord. So in our text today, really again, a theme of defense against enemies shines through, as well as the idea that the Lord would save him, right, from enemies, but also that general term of salvation that we think of and connect to Christ our Lord. So the opening section, that first verse, can make for a helpful family conversation today. The the talk about fear. So you might ask your kids, what are some things that scare you? And let them share some of those things with you and then share some yourself, right? What are some of the things that maybe you were afraid of in the past? And if you still fear things now, I know the biblical command is that we should fear nothing other than God, but if there are things that you struggle with, it's not wrong to tell your children that, right? And so include them in, in these conversations. They can pray for you too, right? This, this love and accountability among Christians goes both directions, that they can build you up just as you're seeking to build them up. So as you have that conversation about what makes you afraid as a family, and then you can transition into the conversation about why we don't need to be afraid of those things. And our fears are many and numerous, right? Fear of starvation, fear of death, fear of illnesses, fear of loss of a job, fear of spiders, fear of 
clowns, fear of the dark, all sorts of things, right? Lots and lots of them. And we don't need to be afraid of any of those things I just listed off. Why? They're temporary. None of them ultimately has power over you. And that's the driving force behind our fear. Our fear is a trust that those things can harm us, right? If you're afraid of spiders, you're afraid of them because you believe that they can harm you. It's a trust in their power. If you fear death, it's because you have this trust that death can actually take something from you, that it can take your life. It can take away the things that you care for. It can prevent you from doing what you want to do. But ultimately, none of those things matter. None of them, whatever they might be. Because Christ is our, and we have it in verse 1, he is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. Think of John chapter 8, verse 12, as Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the life, the light of life. This is the Lord's promise to us that he is our light. He is the one that gives our life its purpose, its meaning, its direction, because he created us and he's redeemed us. And that gets into the second one, this idea of salvation, that the Lord saves us. I mean, you want to talk about why we don't need to be afraid even of death, because Jesus will raise you from the dead. The spider bites you and you become radioactive. I know, it's a little goofy. You're going to live even if it's not now. You might die. Unless Christ comes back first, we all will. But on the last day, Christ is going to raise you again unto new life. And it will be better then than it is now, whatever it is that you're enduring at this time. So salvation, Jesus' death and his resurrection gives us forgiveness, life, and salvation. And then stronghold is another good word here to, to focus on the idea that Jesus is our stronghold. He defends us from sin, death, and the devil because he has already conquered them. You've got an Ephesians 6 passage, armor of God, that's helpful here. A you know, shield of faith that, distinct, that extinguishes the fiery darts of the evil one, something like that. But this is a good family conversation point. So verse 2 gets into this idea of God defending him against the evildoers who would harm him. And he notes that it is they, so it is the ones who do evil. His enemies are the ones who will stumble and fall. A couple of helpful reference points to go to here. One would be Romans chapter 12, verse 20. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We are to love our enemies as the teaching of Christ. And so as, as we would see this, as we would even pray this, as we would seek to care even for our enemies, we can recognize that they are the ones ultimately stumbling. They are the ones who fall short that do not make it into paradise unless the Holy Spirit creates faith and brings them to repent. The other verse to keep in mind here would be 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. I mean, there's others as well, but it calls Jesus a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So we have those conversation points that are connections to be made. Then verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I think of 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35 in particular, but the Assyrians are threatening God's people. And what happens? 
their 185,000 soldier army that has gathered and encamped itself outside of Jerusalem is struck down overnight. They were waiting for dawn to attack, right, for daybreak. Jesus, the angel of Yahweh, Jesus, strikes them down overnight, all 185,000 of them. Gone. It's a beautiful picture of verse 3. There's no need to be afraid because the Lord protects, the Lord fights for his people. Verse 4 shifts gears a little bit. Instead of the idea of defense, we now move into the idea of living in the Lord's house. So, David has one thing that he has asked for. It might be a bit of an exaggeration, right? He's prayed many times before, so he's had many prayers. Um, And here, what he's asking for, what he's highlighting in his prayer, is that he would be able to live in God's house, to dwell in the house of Yahweh all the days of my life. He wants to live in that house. And that is a promise that we have in the Lord. Jesus Christ, John, I believe it's John chapter 14, first couple of verses there where Jesus describes that he is going to prepare a place for us and if he prepares a place for us, he will also come that he may take us to be with him where he is going to be. So this is a beautiful thing. David acknowledges that beauty, God's glory, right? His goodness, not necessarily like a physical beauty description, but simply that the Lord is all things good. And that is beautiful in its own way. And to inquire in his temple, so prayer, right? Asking God for things, even just speaking to God at this point, like Adam and Eve had God walk with them in the garden. It's another beautiful picture, another image to consider. So this is what, verse 4, this is what David is going to live for. He's going to live seeking after this rather than seeking after all the other things in this life that there are to seek after. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, conceal me under the cover of his tent, lift me high upon a rock. So three images of protection. That the Lord would hide him, right? So uh, if he's hidden, nobody else can find him. If he's in the Lord's tent, then if anyone wants to attack him, they have to get through the Lord first, right? In God's tent. It could be a reference to his tabernacle, but the idea of protection is what he's going for. And then lift high upon a rock, that's the picture of a defensible position, right? If standing upon a firm ground at a higher altitude is going to put you in a better fighting position than the enemy who would be coming from below. Um, Fairly common military understanding. Then verse 6, he's going to be exalted in that victory. So his head lifted up. He's going to offer in his tent, so God's tabernacle, sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and making melody to Yahweh. That's like yesterday, Psalm 26, verse 6 that we saw. So he's going to be around the house of God, right? He wants to dwell there all the days of his life. So why not start with the house that God has given here in this place? We could talk about the church in that way, that the Lord has promised to be with us where we gather as the church, that he has promised to place himself even within us. When we think about the Lord's Supper, Christ for us, his life, his forgiveness, his love, his word, very good things. Verse 7, Hear, O Yahweh, when I cry aloud. It's a reference to prayer, right? When we cry out, we're crying out to God, that's a prayer. Be gracious to me, answer me. So hear my prayer, and in your grace, so asking for the gift, right? Answer my prayer. 
It's a gift of God that our prayers are answered and heard. And so again, one thing have I asked of Yahweh, well, he's asking something else, right? So heightening, strengthening that, that verse 4 idea, that that's the crucial thing. But here verse 7 is important too. So family conversation could be, how has God answered your prayers? might be interesting to see how your kids respond to something like that. And also think of ways that God has answered prayers that you have prayed in the past that can help encourage your children to pray more often and certainly pray together, right, as the psalm comes to its conclusion a few verses from now. In verse 8, God's phrase, seek my face, that imperative, seek, at the beginning is a plural. So it's a command to creation, that we would seek God. And David says that he does, right? So this is good. This is what we ought to do. And as Christians, we can rightly agree with that statement. God has called us to himself. He has caused us to seek after him. And so we do so. We do so humbly because we bring nothing to the table. We have nothing to offer God. But we confess our sins. We repent. We trust in him for his forgiveness, for his life, for his salvation. Hide not your face from me. So that's the idea, right? Think about that. If God's face is hidden, if God is closing and concealing his eyes so that we can't see him, it would, well, God is omniscient, but beside the point, it would mean God can't see us, right? That's the picture David has in mind here, that God would not see him, that God would not then know his needs. And if God does not know his needs, God would not care for or provide for him. That's the picture David's mentioning he rightly could turn away in his anger because we're sinners. But David prays that he would not, instead, that he would continue to help David as he has already done in his life so far. Cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation. So calling God who he is, calling God what he's done, the God of our salvation, and we can say the same. My father and my mother have forsaken me is an intriguing statement. Is this just a hypothetical? Like, if I were abandoned by my parents, then God would still care for me. The Lord would be my father. He would provide. Or is this a real thing? It could happen in many ways. Verse 10 could be a statement that David's parents at this point in his life, by the time he wrote this psalm, that they've died, right? They have forsaken him. They no longer care for him because they've passed on. Whereas, God the Father is still his Father and still cares and provides for him. That's a possibility. Another way to maybe look at it would be even with the idea of David being taken from his father's house and being brought to King Saul to play the harp for him, right? You might remember that from the early times of David's life after killing Goliath, that he's brought into that role to help appease, right, to help soften King Saul. And Saul eventually becomes the one who tries to kill David. So this could be a reference to that, that his parents gave him over, but God himself, as his father, cared for him. Maybe there's something else even yet unknown to us. Maybe something really happened that David's parents decided they didn't want anything to do with him. Nothing like that's recorded in Scripture, though. Teach me your way, O Yahweh. Lead me on a level path because of my enemies. So teach me your way. It's a good thing for us to pray as well, uh, that the Lord would give us what we need to know. And he has in Scripture. He has given us all that we need to know for salvation. So we might ask that he would teach us his ways in terms also of loving our neighbor. 
that we would see the need and that we would be able to help. Lead me on a level path connects back to chapter 26 from yesterday as well, verse 12. The idea here being a way of ease. So his enemies would make life difficult, but God defeats his enemies. God makes his life, I don't want to say easy. That's not the picture here. God makes his life sound, firm. God keeps him alive, right? Verse 12, give me not up to the will of my adversaries. So that would be God allowing his enemies to win, get the upper hand, defeat him, torment him, torture him, maybe. False witnesses have risen against me. David does not refer to a specific enemy in this psalm. So maybe there's one in mind. Maybe he writes this at a time where he has a specific person or enemy army in mind. Or maybe it's just a generic prayer. Uh, Again, David is a warrior king. He fought many battles. He had many enemies in this world. Verse 13 and 14 ended on a very positive note. So I believe I shall look upon the goodness of Yahweh in the land of the living. Paradise, right? David here is praising the idea of a resurrection, that we would be with the Lord forevermore. And we do this as well. We look forward to the same thing, that we, with our own eyes, will see our Savior face to face, that he is bringing us to be with him in paradise. Then verse 14, wait for Yahweh. So David was waiting for the Messiah to come the promise of a Messiah. We are waiting for the Messiah to come again. So David looked forward to the cross. We look back upon the cross, but we also look forward to the resurrection. I think it's fair to say, as we just did in verse 13, David was also looking forward to the resurrection, to the paradise, to the house of God that will never end. Then, be strong, take courage. Why? Because Yahweh's coming, right? We don't have to fear in this world because the Lord is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. Just as the psalm started, so it ends. In Christ. Amen. Praise, praise.